anybody listening, whether you've been an OT for two months, two years, 22 years, 40 years, I think we have to remember that there are so many levels. We are licensed professionals, but there are so many levels of knowledge of Practice Act, national, state laws, company laws. There are so many bits and pieces of laws and things that you have to do to abide by your liability insurance. There are so many things that if you do not do your due diligence, you are really putting your education, your student loan balance, your license, you and your livelihood at risk every day. And I want this to sound as powerful as it is, because this is no joke. Hi, I'm Clarice Grody, and welcome to the Amplify OT podcast. I'm an occupational therapist by trade and a policy wonk by choice. This podcast is here to help you survive and thrive in the U.S. healthcare system through a better understanding of policy, advocacy, and value-based care. So let's dive in. Welcome back, OT Amplifiers to Amplify OT Podcast. I am so excited for our guest today, Rafi, or OT Rafi on Instagram. We have been chatting since March, is what you found when you went and looked at looked at the receipts online. And so another wonderful Instagram community connection. And so I'm so grateful to have met you and to have you here to talk with us because I'm really excited about what we're going to chat about, especially for some pitfalls potentially for new grads, especially those going into traveling and dealing with licenses. So definitely an important topic that I don't think we always think about in alliance. It's something we connected early on about the importance of compliance and knowing the laws because it can pop up when you least expect it. So I will have you introduce yourself because you have had a fascinating career that's dabbled in a bunch of different things. So I'd love for you to introduce yourself to everyone listening. Hi, everyone. I am so excited to be part of this podcast today. I have been an occupational therapy practitioner since the late 90s, and I started as a CODA. And while I was in CODA school, I immediately knew I wanted to continue my education. So before even sitting for my Scantron test, (laughs) CODA certification, I started OT school. So I was actually started OT school and studying for my cert exam at the same time. The program director at Barry University, Mitch, she's not there anymore, but he was amazing mentor. And he basically said, I know you're going to pass. So there's no issue because there would have been quite a bit of an issue if I didn't pass. So of course I passed and I continued my education and I did a bachelor's degree. And then at the end of the bachelor's degree, they came into our class, like before, like maybe two months before we were ending. And they said, hey, we just got approved by ACOAT for a master's program. This was when everything was going to master's level. Mm-hmm. Anybody want to stay in a couple more months and get their master's degree? And I was like, sure, why not? Add to student loan balance. Why not? <laughs> so I stayed. So it's really everything just kind of was connected. There was never a out in the field, then move into this, then move into that. I kind of just stayed on course in school. And during that, I did everything. So take you back. And I know I think you've done something on this or it's actually in the new it's in one of the courses in Amplify OT is how different things looked in the 90s. Yeah. And so I was coming out at the end of that. I was coming out at the end where you could go to an outpatient clinic and every therapist was driving a car that was $60,000 or more. We parked with the doctors then, yeah? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, you can tell where the doctor's lot is in a hospital. Yeah, so it was very interesting though. It was a very interesting time to be a therapist. So then I also was brand new when PPS hit. So it really was a very interesting beginning of my career. So I have done everything from NICU, skilled nursing, inpatient rehab, mental health at Johns Hopkins in Baltimore, Maryland. I have done recovery in a partial hospitalization program. I have worked with 
addicts in a day program. I have worked in assisted living facilities, independent living facilities, academia, home health. Man, you're just checking all the boxes. Acute. <laughs> like I've done everything. It's probably shorter to list what you haven't done than exactly where you've right. been. Which, yeah, yeah. So I think really, I think the one thing that I probably haven't done on a on a very detailed level is like ergonomics. Mm-hmm. But I've done outpatient. I've done everything. I even did things that certified hand therapists do now. But back then, that wasn't a huge push. Right. It was just, you're an OT. You could be trained. Here's a seat. And here are your six people for this hour (laughs) kind of thing. You know, I'm so thankful for it, even though some of it was really a dumpster fire. It's made me the OT that I am. Yeah. And it's really allowed me to see things, the good, the bad and the ugly. And we're going to get into some of the ugly shortly. So I think as far as my experience, primarily, I would say geriatrics is probably the biggest population. Oh, and I did school setting. And I did the school setting in one, two, three, four different states. Oh, my goodness. So I've done everything. Yeah. You've not only just made it around to the different settings, you've lived all over the place, too. Yes. Yes. So it's just it's amazing. And, you know, now I'm back to my home state and not living in my hometown, but back to my home state, you know, really kind of planning my future as far as what the OT future is going to look like what my home future is going to look like, planning an exodus of my home state. (laughs) But I'm also very blessed because of my career that Mm -hmm. it's going to make that transition to another state. It's probably going to be easier than most jobs out there. Yeah, that's always the nice part, right? Is that there's always jobs for OTs, OTAs, you know, There's some that are more plentiful than others. You know, I have heard people have a hard time finding some jobs, you know, depends where you are. But that's part of what drew me to occupational therapy is that we'll always need OT practitioners and you can work just about anywhere there's a healthcare system. So or the school. So it was kind of one of those where it was nice to not have a job that would be limiting, you know, and those sorts of things, especially because my initial what I initially went to school for was music performance. And so that would have been a very limiting career where you can only work, you know, wherever you can get your audition or get, you know, a academia job and people would move around you. But it was nice with OT. I was like, well, I'll have that freedom. So if my spouse has a very limiting job, then I can move to wherever they need to go. And it's nice to have that freedom. Yeah. Yeah. So we're certainly, you know, when you think of OT, so now when I was learning about OT back in the dinosaur ages, we used <laughs> uniform terminology. You know, it was a very different way of learning OT. Yeah. I still think I know enough of the foundations and the principles mm-hmm. and everything. I know where to find all the newer stuff. But it's very interesting, too, to see how how much OT has changed on that level. And I had a little taste of academia, and that's all I needed was a small little taste. <laughs> And that may not be something I ever do again. So I've been through so many different aspects of OT as well. You know, like being in a hospital when they get surveyed, being in a nursing home Mm -hmm. when they get surveyed, you know, being in these different settings, being in academia and having to do everything for a coat. Yeah. All the regulations, right? Yes, exactly. (laughs) No matter where you go, there will be policies, there will be regulations. Exactly. Yep. And then having to do on the onboarding for all these different companies and all these Mm -hmm. different home health agencies and, you know, all of these things. So I definitely think there's a lot of value in having different jobs. And we kind of live in a world now that being loyal to a company that doesn't exist anymore. No. Not really. Those days are over. We don't have jobs that give pensions. Well, maybe some state hospitals in the Northeast or something, maybe. (laughs) But times are changing. So I think OT is a perfect job to go with those changes. But I think as we're going to get into a little bit more, that because of all these changes and because your job may change faster than you want it to, or you may want to take the direction of doing lots of different things, it is vitally important that you do your due diligence on all the things. Right. And I think that's, you know, you talking about going through different onboarding and learning different things. That was something that really, you know, I had done a field work with AOTA. So I got an introduction into policy already. So I already kind of had seen how important it was and also 
how little I had learned about it and how little I understood it. You know, you can you don't know what you don't know. And that was really eye opening for me. And then my first job was in home health, but I worked for a contract company. So I ended up seeing patients for like 13 different home health agencies. I think how much it total was when I added them all up, you know, because I had to make it sound impressive for my resume that I saw patients for 13 different agencies. Right. (laughs) But I quickly realized that each agency was telling me something different in terms of what Medicare would or wouldn't pay for or what OT looked like in home health. And so if I had just worked for one company, I probably never would have realized, you know, I would have just trusted what my company had to say, because why would your company lie, right? You know, there's a new (laughs) guy. You're like, oh, why would my company tell me something that's illegal? They do, with or without knowing. But when I worked for all these different agencies, that's where I was like, oh, not only do I not really understand my role in this setting and what Medicare actually covers in this setting, but neither do apparently any of these agencies because they're all telling something different and they're all telling me different rules. And I had a hard time finding it, which is kind of what got me even more into policy and then eventually leading to, you know, starting Amplify OT is like, I'm not the only one who's out there being like, what the heck is going on? You know, and I definitely was told to do things that were at best maybe illegal, but most likely were definitely inappropriate and illegal to do in terms of forms and documentation that I just had no idea. Right. And so we could start, I guess, since this is the main topic of me being here, we could start to open that can because I think anybody listening, whether you've been an OT for two months, two Mm -hmm. years, 22 years, 40 years. I think we have to remember that there are so many levels. We are licensed professionals, but there are so many levels of knowledge of Practice Act, national, state laws, company laws. There are so many bits and pieces of laws and things that you have to do to abide by your liability insurance. Mm -hmm. There are so many things that if you do not do your due diligence, you are really putting your education, your student loan balance, your license, you you and your livelihood at risk every day. And I want this to sound as powerful as it is, because this is no joke, not something to just brush over lightly. Yeah. And it's not to scare folks, but at the same time, it's just kind of the reality. And that's where One of the most absurd things I ever read on Facebook was someone saying that my company told me to do this, but I don't think it's in compliant with Medicare's law, but they told me not to worry because it's just my Medicare license and not my actual license that would be at risk. And I was like, oh, no, no, no. Those are like one in the same. Like (laughs) if you get barred from ever billing Medicare, good luck ever finding a job again, especially in adults. But that could also then reflect on your license. You know, because you have to report if you've been even accused of fraud or accused of these things, and that could prevent your ability to be able to renew or to regain your license because a lot of licenses too have morality causes. So there's all these different levels. I'm glad you pointed those out, right? Because they're, and two, that part of differentiating like what's a policy versus a law versus a recommendation versus like where your company like has a policy that you know like your tardy policy that's not a state law that if you're late you get five points on your record or something but like it is maybe state law that you have to get your tb test done as well as a facility policy and where are those different layers and where might you be held liable and that's the most challenging part Exactly. And that's a perfect reason to stay connected with Amplify OT as well. Oh, thank you. <laughs> so my interest in Amplify OT and connecting with Clarice was because I started to have a little bit more of an interest on my state level and getting connected with my association. And because Clarice has vast experience in that, um, we connected that way. And then I really got into the policies and also because of the experience, and I'm going to share that in a minute. But I could say before I share this story that my situation involved multiple people, and I'm going to get into that. But had I done my due diligence for one person, had I verified one thing for one person, I would have saved a disciplinary action. I would have saved multiple 
phone calls, airplane trips, lawyers, everything. And I could have saved myself $20,000. Oof. Yeah, that hits home. Because I don't think very many of us have 20K lying around. Well, thankfully, my mother chipped in. Yeah. There's no way. I would have probably been working at Target if my mom didn't chip in. Mm-hmm. So working at Target with a student loan of three degrees. That you can't use anymore. Right. I don't want to scare folks, like you said, but I really think it's important to recognize your personal responsibility in knowing what it is, where to find it, how to decipher it, call your state, your mm-hmm. OT board for your state if you have a question about something. Florida was very open and easy to talk to. I would imagine most state boards are, but really you have to be responsible for yourself. Yeah, because at the end of the day, we say that all the time, right? It's your license. It's your license. So even if your company has told you it's okay or your coworker has said, oh, I do that all the time, it's your license at the end of the day. And so that's where, you know, like I've said a long time ago that I kind of set that for myself when I started is that I'd rather be fired for doing the right thing than keep a job because I did the wrong things, you know, and that's kind of where you have to figure out where that line is. But then too, if you don't know, you don't know. But unfortunately, ignorance is not really acceptable when it comes to prosecuting the law. They don't really accept not knowing as a reason that why you didn't do something. And so that's the, that's the hard part and the hard realities of falling into the law. And so I'm glad that we've connected. And so I think it's a good time to kind of talk about some of how you found yourself this, because this was early in your career, right? It was fairly early on in 2000. And this was like 10 years into my career, like midway through enough to, have a feeling feel good as of being as OT and oh yeah then... yeah an OT that had many codas yeah an OT that had many OT assistants working you know supervising supervising other OTs and so I'll start the story with I'll build up the scenario I am a contractor as many other contractors in a school district This school district was so understaffed that they used multiple staffing companies to be able to meet the needs of the students. Public schools, state charter or district charter schools. So there were multiple different companies. So you could be sitting at a table during a meeting and you could be four people in a row and we're all four working for a different company. Right. Okay. So, and that might be reality in a lot of different jobs right now. I was a traveler. And some of the other OTs in this legal situation were contractors, but they were more local contractors. Mm. So I was officially a traveler working under a travel contract with a travel company. These other OTRs were contractors under those local contract companies. So we're going through the school year and there was one particular coda that was difficult. And so she had been bounced around to a lot of different OTRs. Mm. And rather than taking the time to counsel her, which would have been difficult because again, everybody's working for a different contract company. There was a total of five of us involved in this and all five had totally different contract companies. Yeah. So that makes things even more cloudy. Because who's supervising who or who's responsible to who, right? Right. So there's a lot of things. As you hear this story, there's going to be a lot of moments where you're like, oh, stop. You know, like if we're on video, we could stop and say, what was wrong with this? You know, (laughs) the school year's going through and I was the last OTR to supervise this coda. I was the last one of the four of us. And so I guess they figured, oh, have Rafi try. Okay. So... I would call her, I would text her, I would tell her, you know, hey, I'm going to be at this school at this time. Can you please drive by? We need to -to face-to-face. I need to know what's going on. This kiddo's IEPs next week. I need to know what's going on. It was very difficult to have communication with her. Mm -hmm. So I never even had a face-to-face with her. Oh, yeah. Which can happen. I had that even in home health where I never met half of my coworkers in person. I never had a face-to-face. I never had a, an actual lengthy phone call more than about three minutes with her. 
very shortly after that was towards the end of the school year. So everybody's wrapping up. Some contractors are staying for extended school year, ESY, some are not. I decided I was not staying. So I left the area and I got notification at my mom's house because at the time I was a traveler, hint, hint, mm-hmm. travelers. I was a traveler. I got notification at my mom's house. She opened my mail. She read this long, thick thing. She's like, you have to come and get this. You have to, you know, when you're home, you have to come and get this. And she started reading it to me. I was like, what? So in the meantime, I had changed my cell phone number. And another stop, what could go wrong? (laughs) If you're (laughs) licensed in a state or district and you don't keep up with how they can contact you. Right. That is something you are doing wrong. So I get home and everything. So what happened was a parent filed a complaint with the school. The school filed a complaint with the OT board of Washington, D.C. This CODA was signing and going to IEP meetings and signing her name and signing occupational therapy. Uh. So the parent, who is very wise and up to date and knows what services their child gets, says, there is no such signature as this. Yeah, It's either an occupational therapist and their signature is OTR slash, I mean, the parent knew everything. Or it's a CODA or, you know, that kind of thing. So then they then investigated anybody that had connection with this person. Well, it took a long time because, again, we're talking about four, five different contract companies because this CODA was with a different contract company. So it took investigation to realize she had done this multiple times. Mm. She had done this under my caseload and four, three or four, uh, three other OTRs. Yeah. So a complaint was filed for all of us, her and the four OTRs that were supervising her at one point or another. Right. Because legally under the state law or district law that you are, you are responsible for the supervision. Right. And that's, I think we forget that as OTs that the OTAs we supervise, we we are liable also for what they do. Right. But this gets even muddier. Oh boy. She was given a temporary license and the District of Columbia never changed it to a permanent license. Oh. So had I done my due diligence way back when, when I wasn't able to reach her and start to get a little bit of a, hmm, what's going on with her? And I put her name in the little database that all states have and the District of Columbia, I would have seen she's still temporary. And that would have raised enough red flags for me. But I trusted five contract companies and the person that's in charge of doing these contracts for the Washington, D.C. school district. I trusted five companies and an organization to have followed up on her temporary license. Right. Or at least who's employing her. Right. Because it's something that most of us are used to that every year we have to submit our license. Exactly. Nobody did. So here's this person creating havoc in people's lives. The company she worked for never followed up with it, never went back to the Washington State website, Washington, D.C. website and said, oh, wait, she's still under temporary. That doesn't make sense because there is no perpetual temporary license that has limits. Right. And regulations connected to it. So her company didn't do it. And the other four companies, they wouldn't do it anyway because they it's not their employee. And then the district was probably so overwhelmed that they didn't even have somebody doing credentialing other than first onboarding. Yeah. Is my thought. So when you're looking at boards, OT boards, and something like this happens, the only people that are going to get reprimanded are people with a license Mm -hmm. because the boards cannot take action against a company. They can only take action against licensed professionals. Right. So then that means she didn't get anything because she's not licensed. Yeah. That temporary license didn't mean a thing. So the only four people that were impacted directly were the four OTRs. Wow. So you hear that, folks. She got nothing. I spent 
hours, hours, endless hours, and $20,000 for my very small part in this. And she got nothing. Now that there is a silver lining of the story, and I'll tell you at the end, (laughs) but the four of us had to, two people were local. Mm -hmm. So two OTRs were still local. So that made it easier for them to show up for the hearing, do what they need to do. Two of us were travelers and we had already moved on. So it was harder. It was hard for us to stand up to bat for ourselves. Right. And they denied me because I got email notification of the hearing and it wasn't enough time for me to fly up to D.C., but they denied me calling in. Hmm. I had to be in present. It was a kind of disciplinary hearing that I had to be present. I could not call in. So the two that were local had very different outcomes because they were able to go to bat for themselves. It was a quicker response from them. The two of us that had to do these complicated things, we got more of a hit, so to speak. Mm -hmm. So because I did not do my due diligence to find out that she, if she was licensed or not, because I did not provide satisfactory supervision, which If I even had known about the license, none of this other stuff would have mattered. I would have been in the clear if I was the whistleblower that said, wait a minute, she should not be even be seeing kids. She should not even be doing what she's doing. But because that didn't happen. So in all total, $20,000, part of my, it's a disciplinary action. So this is not a legal thing. It is, it's not a legal thing when it comes to looking at your license. So it's not something that's going to stop me from being an OT, but it is a public disciplinary action. And all of it is still connected to my license to this day. Right. So when you look at my license on the state of Florida, you'll see the PDF and you could read all about everything. So part of the, I guess you could say, part of the reprimand and part of the agreement was that I was going to pay all these fines. Mm-hmm. and I was going to go to this ethics class. So imagine this again, two things didn't check that she was licensed and really didn't do for the last couple weeks of the school year, didn't do the correct supervision to really shine a light of what was really happening. Right. I go to this ethics class and it is full of medical professionals like doctors, dentists, Mm -hmm. psychiatrists that have done the creepiest, most horrible things like giving people too much opioids or, Mm -hmm. you know, touching a patient's breast when they were under. I'm in the same room with these people. Yeah. Because it is the most common renowned ethics class for licensed professionals. Interesting. So if that wasn't demeaning enough about everything else, I paid airfare, hotel room, and $6,000 for this ethics class to be able to continue to work as an OT in the state of Florida. Are you ready to take your occupational therapy practice to the next level? Then look no further than the Amplify OT membership. You heard that right. Amplify OT has its very own membership program. This membership is designed to help occupational therapy practitioners just like you stay informed about the latest developments in Medicare and advocacy. You will have exclusive access to resources, webinars, the Mastering OT Policy and Medicare course, Q&A sessions, plus the ability to DM me your questions and get answers fast. But of course, that is not all. As a member, you'll be part of a community of like-minded occupational therapy practitioners who share their expertise and offer support. So by joining the Amplify OT membership, you'll be able to stay up to date on the latest Medicare regulations and guidelines, learn how to advocate for your patients and your profession, connect with other OT practitioners and students to share your knowledge, and you'll have access to those exclusive resources and webinars so you can reach your full potential as an OT provider. So don't miss out on this opportunity to take your practice to the next level. Sign up for the Amplify OT membership today by going to the link in the show notes or amplifyot.com forward slash membership. Don't forget to stay informed and be the change that you want to see in our healthcare system. And that's, you know, and it's just wild to 
think about that. And, you know, in some states you have to identify what OTAs you're responsible for supervising or OTAs have to list who they're supervising OTR is or OT is. And, you know, you think about those things. Yeah, you would think that the company would take care of that, right? And that's where it gets really funky, I think, with supervision laws and because we don't really in our heads see the difference between like supervising an employee versus being the supervising therapist. I don't write that employee's performance review. I don't do, you know, I don't do like the employee side of supervision. If a patient calls and complains, I'm not the one who does anything about it. Not necessarily like directly, I don't have control over their employment, but under the law, under the state, you are still responsible for what that person does if they're seeing patients that are on your caseload. Because we go back to what you and I talked about in the beginning is you are a licensed professional Mm -hmm. supervising another licensed professional. You could work with eight CODAs with eight different agencies. If you are still there supervising OT, those practice laws is what is the most important, not the company laws, not And speaking of companies, I'm not going to mention the company, but if anybody wants to send me a message on Instagram, I will share the name. (laughs) But the company I worked for literally washed their hands. I tried to reach out to the lawyers and everything, but they had the same answer that the District of Columbia had, that the state of Florida had, that, that my lawyer had. The company's like, we can't help you. We're not a licensed provider like they don't have a license to provide otpt speech even though they contract otpt Mm -hmm. speeches you know what i mean so it's like the company is removed from this situation which i think is horrific first of all right but if we go back to these laws and we are licensed professionals we have to abide with the license laws and everything. We don't, you know, the company, it's almost like the company is secondary. Our license right. and maintaining our license is your primary focus. So they did nothing for me, provided no guidance, provided no, and I was a full-time traveler, folks. So I had mm-hmm. like the legal EPA, you know, the employee assistance program. None of that helped me. None of that helped me. The company, any of the benefits I had with the company, Nothing, folks, nothing. And this was in the day where traveling meant, oh, you just showed up to an apartment complex and they gave you your key and you had a furnished apartment. Yeah. Traveling is very different now, very different. (laughs) But I know, and this was one of the reasons why you and I wanted to do this episode, I know there are a lot of newer grads that are very tempted to go into the travel space. And I am just giving you a word of caution that that company is not loyal to you. No company is, but that company is not loyal to you, whether it is employment, legal, ethical, there is no loyalty there. So please, if you are in a situation where you are supervising someone or you're being supervised by someone, it goes both ways. Right. Jump on the website of that state, put in their name, or look on the wall, get their license number off the wall, because it has to be posted somewhere, get the license number off the wall, and do a quick little search on the state website, and just see who you're working with. And it's your right to be able to ask, you know, ask someone what their license number is, or those sorts of things, you know, you are well within your rights to ask that. It's not any kind of protected information because you'd be surprised how much data you can pull down from these state licensure board websites. Exactly. Yeah. Some states you can pull down everyone's address and name. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Everything, everything on Florida. You could pull up my name. You could pull up that whole file. It's a big old PDF. Mm-hmm. The PDF has the Washington. So now I don't know if I made this clear, but because I no longer lived in Washington and they weren't getting a response, they sent that whole complaint to the state of Florida. Right. So technically I had two states that had disciplinary action against me or district of Columbia is not a state. So district of Columbia and Florida. So that's how it came back to me. So that's another thing that as a traveler, you still have a home base. You still have a home base licensure that can be impacted. So if you're from California and you're rocking it in New York City, your California license is still connected to you. 
Right. They're not all separate. In other words, they are not all separate. Every state has a right to then send a formal complaint to whatever other license state, other states you're licensed in. That was at the back end of my traveling days. So it was only two states. Had I still had my traveling licensures, that would have been Illinois, California, and Washington state and Maryland. That would have been four other states that I would have had to deal with had I kept those active. Other, you know, other travelers, you you rack up a number of licenses, especially if you're really traveling around. You know, if you're going to lots of different states or different settings, you start to really rack up those licenses and you are still held liable to all those different practice acts. And I think that's one of the most challenging things. And I mean, I learned I almost learned the lesson the hard way as well when I was in. Uh, so I went back to Missouri to start, right? And so like I went to school in New York. So I learned some about the Practice Act of New York because that's where I went to school. But I didn't really read the Practice Act in Missouri. And that was a time where I was really glad that I had ended up joining the state association because I you know, had joined their advocacy committee and they we were chatting about something and someone brought up the issue that they had been contacted by a hospital that was hesitant to hire new grads in the state of Missouri because at the time new grad OTs could not supervise an OTA for a year. So you had to have your license for a full year before you could supervise an OTA. If you live in Missouri now, you're welcome. It no longer exists. <laughs> but at the time when I was starting there, I was like, oh, I had no idea because I didn't read that one sentence in the State Practice Act. You know, I'd looked at the things that I mattered to me is how much my license costs and how many CEUs I needed. I didn't even worry about the supervision things. I didn't bother. And so when I was looking for jobs, A, it explained why I was having such a hard time as a new grad finding a job in Missouri because people were hesitant to hire OTs that were new because you can't supervise OTAs. And so if you work in like a SNF, that's a huge thing, right? Supervising OTAs. And then also when I interviewed with my home health job, because I knew about the law, because right, State Practice Act is a law, I brought it up to my employer and they were also unaware that there was that policy. And so had I not known about it, because in home health, right, you're also responsible for supervising OTAs. Had I not known about that law, I couldn't have brought it up with my employer, which means they wouldn't have made accommodations for me. And so then I would have been violating my practice act for potentially a full year had I not known about that law. And just because, you know, you get through the year and you're like, oh, no one caught me. No, no, no. They can come back. They can come back and find you. Exactly. You think about all that. And I'm so glad that like, just because I attended that one meeting with my state association that I learned about that policy that I most likely, I mean, who reads their entire practice act? I mean, you should, I'm going to tell you, you should, but most of us don't, especially like if you're traveling, all those practice acts are different. What is required in each state for supervision? How many OTAs you can supervise in each state is different and what that supervision looks like. Like the 49 states have general supervision. Only Kentucky, I believe, is the only state for OTAs that requires direct supervision no matter what. But, you know, again, if you're a traveler and you don't know that, right, and you're providing general supervision to OTAs in Kentucky, you could be in violation of your own practice act and not know that. Also, keep in mind that they can still come back to you even if your license is not active anymore. Right. And they could come back to you years later. So I had left D.C., for, I think I was gone for five years when this all boiled up. So it took five years to go from a complaint to a disciplinary action to then getting to Florida. It takes a while. Yeah. So really, I can't even, I, I don't know how much more I can say this, but you have to do your due diligence. If you are a traveler and you're keeping your licenses up, if you're a traveler and you're staying in one state and you're doing different settings, make sure you know your practice act, make sure you know the laws, make sure you know everything Mm -hmm. because not knowing something is not a defense. That would have done me no good. My lawyer responded to the complaint. So I never, I did have to go to Tallahassee, which if anybody lives in Florida, knows that there's really no good way of getting to Tallahassee. <laughs> like you can't, it's a long drive from most places. There's no direct airport, which makes Hill Day, which makes Hill Day very bad for Florida because it's hard to get to. But anyway, I digress. So my law, lo- I did have to go to Tallahassee once 
and then Boston for the ethics class. My lawyer did the actual written response and that's how we responded. Yes, I'll go to the ethics class and this is what happened, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. I think I met with my lawyer two or three times and that was that was the majority of the of the $20,000 was three visits to a lawyer. Yeah. Now, did you have liability insurance at the time? Today's episode is proudly sponsored by MedBridge, your go-to resource for advancing your occupational therapy career and, of course, getting those necessary CEUs. If you are passionate about staying at the forefront of our field and enhancing your skills, MedBridge is a comprehensive solution. With the MedBridge subscription, you gain access to an extensive library of high-quality live and recorded courses led by industry experts. So stay up to date with the latest advancements in occupational therapy, explore evidence-based practice, and enhance your clinical skills. One reason that I really like and recommend MedBridge is because they have both intervention-based courses and policy and reimbursement-based courses, and that is a rare find in a CEU company. But here's the best part for our OT Amplifiers community. If you use the promo code AMPLIFYOT at checkout, you'll unlock an exclusive 40% discount on your MedBridge subscription. Yes, you heard that right, 40% off with the code AMPLIFYOT, that's A-M-P-L-I-F-Y-O-T. This is a fantastic opportunity to save some money, elevate your practice, and support AmplifyOT. So don't miss out on this chance to supercharge your professional development and head over to MedBridge.com, use the promo code AmplifyOT, and enjoy the benefits of MedBridge while also supporting AmplifyOT and all the free resources that we produce here, like this podcast. So again, head to MedBridge.com, use the code AmplifyOT at checkout, and we also have the link for you in the show notes. No, because guess what? Remember, when you are doing traveling and when you work for a company, Here's another moment to stop and say, what could go wrong? <laughs> when you're working for a company, you assume that they are going to cover you for something. Right. They take out liability insurance on your behalf. Right. They do cover you, but are they going to cover you? Are they going to support you? Those are two different things. Mm -hmm. So yes, I had the built-in liability, but they washed my hand. They washed their hands of me. So. Right. And it was not even my lawyer said it's not even wor worth suing them. Although looking back, I should have sued them as well because I could have sued them and I could have, it could have been bigger than it was, but I was so freaked out. And so the bandwidth for this whole issue really just was horrible. And I was a newlywed, by the way, when mm -hmm. this happened. So here, new husband, come to come with me <laughs> to the lawyer's office. Yeah. Let's go. Let's go spend $5,000 at a lawyer for a couple visits. <laughs> Good thing you already signed the paperwork, you know. <laughs> There's no no backing out now. <laughs> right. I would say do not depend on a company's loyalty, but also do not depend on a company's, their liability for you. You need to carry your own liability, mm -hmm. whether you're acute, home health, whatever you're doing. Even if you're working somewhere part-time, cover your, you know what, CYA. <laughs> because yeah. it's not, I'm I'm going to promise you it's not, and especially in today's world. Now this happened 10, over 10 years ago. So mm -hmm. in the, in that time, it might've been different. Today is probably even more relentless as far as what the companies would even offer you for coverage, right. the company you work for. So always have your own liability. That is something that when I took a break during the pandemic from being an OT, I kept that going. Yeah. Because I was like, I am never going to go without that ever. It's really not that expensive. No. I mean, so there's a bunch of different liability companies out there. And this is by no means like sponsored or anything. And But I use Mercer Pro Liability. They've changed their names a few times because I get a discount for being an AOTA exactly. member. Exactly. That's why I chose them too. It's just easy to sign up and keep that going. Well, and also, you know, I was raised by a lawyer. So I'm always thinking of the pot potential legal consequences. So I'm a big fan of insurance, but I signed up for liability insurance and I think I maxed out like how much they would cover me, which is like a few million dollars, like two to five or something. I can't remember the exact specifics, but it was like 80 bucks a year, 80 bucks a year. And if there's ever a complaint, you get your own lawyer and they cover you up to a certain amount of money. 
you know, which that's a pretty good big sum of money because as therapists, we're not providing like the most expensive services. You know, we're not like surgeons where they could really have big lawsuits like you could as a therapist, but the likelihood of it being over a few million dollars isn't that high. But then at least you're given your own lawyer. And the nice thing too about having liability insurance that I like is that even if my liability insurance lapsed, like let's say I decided to completely leave the profession and lapse my liability insurance. If I had liability insurance in say 2020 and I had an incident from 2020, they would still protect me because I had liability insurance at the time. Right. And it's all kind of about those allegiances, right? And you know, this is kind of your skeptics or maybe a glass half empty kind of perspective is that when your company has a liability insurance for you, they are still there for the company. Like the company's lawyers support the company. They are the gatekeepers of that. And that's, you know, kind of like HR, right? HR is there for employees, but it's really there to protect the company from the employees. And so when you think about that's the nice thing about having your own liability insurance is that that lawyer is only interested in your best interest, not in the company's best interest, because you would hope that they would be aligned. But if it's cheaper for the company to throw the employee under the bus, that may be what happens. And so it's, again, not to like freak people out and be like, oh, you shouldn't ever trust your employer. But at the same time, you should do your due diligence, right? It's like, that could maybe be the term of the podcast that <laughs> right. do your due diligence and make sure that you yourself are protected. Because at the end of the day, this is our livelihoods. Like if I lost my occupational therapy license, I mean, like technically, I guess I could keep doing some of this because I'm not seeing patients right now. But it also would remove because I part of why I was able to do Amplify OT is because I know that if this all crashes and burns tomorrow, I can go get a job as an OT. I can right. go back into patient care. But if I lost the ability to do that, I don't know where I would wind up. Because also, if you want to do non-clinical jobs or even be part of like do academia or anything like that, you're required to have an active license. Right. Right. You know, and so if you lose the ability to have an active license, that really kind of shuts a lot of doors right. in the OT world. So you can still, you know, use your skills somewhere else in a completely non-OT field, but it does close a lot of doors in the profession. And for me, that would be really hard where OT, you know, is part of my identity. It's my profession. It's, you know, it's how I identify. And so it'd be really difficult if I ever had lost that ability. Yeah. So now when this first happened, when I needed to get liability insurance after this, mm-hmm. thankfully, it was not difficult because I could prove that, yes, I had a disciplinary action against me, but this is everything I did to make it better and to make it nice and to fulfill my obligation. So it was never an issue. Now, obviously, if it's more of a legal issue, it might be difficult. You just have to prove what you need to prove like you would for any other kind of you know, insurance or like a medical insurance or something. So really, it, it's never been an issue renewing every year. It's never That's been good. an issue with anything. But it's on there. And um, I do want to talk about a silver lining. So because there is a happy ending to this story. One, (laughs) I mean, I'm still practicing where all four of the OTRs are still out there doing great things with OT. A friend of mine that I met that was also a contractor in the district, she did huge whistleblowing to District of Columbia, Maryland. And then I think this CODA was trying to get a license in another state. So she is permanently revoked and permanently can no longer be a CODA anywhere now. So thankful to that OTR that became my friend and saw this and still to this day, she'll send me a message or something. And But she was my one of the OTRs that was named in the complaint, plus this one that was a big whistleblower that allowed this CODA to be reprimanded nationally. Folks. Yeah nationally. This OTR wrote a letter to MBCOT. She wrote a letter to AOTA. She wrote a letter to Maryland, another state, the district. Like She literally went above and beyond because she knew I didn't have the bandwidth. I was like, I can't even, you know. Yeah. So she did her thing. And so now this person, thankfully, can never practice as an OT practitioner in any way, shape or form. So that's the silver lining and that's the beauty of whistleblowers. Yeah. And I think, you know, when you're talking about how the licensure board can only take action against people who are licensed, there are other legal avenues, right? Where you said you could have sued your employer or this OT who then took action against the OTA. You know, there are other options, but all of those take time. They take effort. They take money. And so 
it can be difficult to kind of follow through with trying to get that full feeling of justice, you know, when there is an issue, because ultimately, if you decided to sue the employer, you would still have to fund that effort up front. And if you won, then you might get recouped, right, for those lawyer fees. But that's an if. If you won, if you didn't win, you're just still out all that money, plus all the emotional trauma of having to go through it. And it just drags out the situation even longer. So like you said, it was five years later. And that's how a lot of like Medicare fraud cases happen, right? You've noticed that they'll post the finding in 2023, but it was for an investigation that's been going on since 2015. Right. And so that's the hard part about whistleblowing too, is that you whistleblow, but it's not going to be that satisfactory response where, you know, Medicare calls your company and says, stop doing this to Jane, you know? (laughs) Right. It takes a while for these things to happen. And, you know, I also want to be clear too, you know, in this situation, we're talking about a certain specific OTA that wasn't licensed and caused issues. We've also, I've also seen reports on, you know, Facebook or social media of OTs who aren't fully licensed and the company's like, oh, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. And no, it's not fine. So if you're an OTA and you suspect that your OT is not licensed appropriately, your license could also be at risk because you're not then receiving that legal supervision. So it's kind of a two-way street here where you both need to be checking each other and making sure that that license is actually renewed. Or, you know, I saw an OT who said that they forgot to renew their license and they were seeing patients for three months unlicensed. And so then the company had to go back and revoke all of those claims because they had illegally billed, you know, right? Because you can't bill for OT services oh. if you aren't a licensed OT. She right. was lucky that she kept her job at the time because any other company most likely would have fired her. But, you know, so these are stories that I see popping up on social media like once a week of right. issues involving licenses or supervision and not really knowing where to go. And that's where, like, I hope to try and be a resource for people. I can't look up everything for people, but I try and help point you in the right direction as to where is that a Medicare policy or a state policy that you're looking for. But these aren't uncommon problems in terms of And I think, too, your state boards are a great resource. I think in all the times I've called the Florida board, you know, even though this complaint was filed from Florida, because that's where I was living and practicing at the time, but They've been so helpful, even if they can't like literally read you the statue or read you something. Sometimes they say, well, look up this because they know it so well. They give you what to look up and then you could put it in the search. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? So it's like, but you have to do your due diligence. Like it doesn't take more than five minutes to jump on a board's website and it's all public knowledge. There's not one state, I don't think, that can withhold that just to get the status of a license. So you're not trying to, you know, stalk somebody. You just want to see the status of a license. And more, like you were saying, Clarice, some states give more information than they should. And some (laughs) states literally just tell you if it's active, not active, you know, very basic information. So yeah, if you've ever wondered how these CEU companies find you, it's through the state licensure databases. Because like in Missouri, I could just download an Excel file of all the OTs and OTAs licensed in that state and their mailing address. (laughs) Uh Yeah, yeah, it's not hard. Exactly. So you you have to do that. I think literally if that's five minutes that could save you $20,000 in heartache, mm-hmm. do it. I mean, it's five minutes, especially if you're out there traveling, mm-hmm. especially if you're out there traveling. And reading a practice act should not take more than like half an hour to an hour if you really read it. You know, I mean, they're not that long of documents. So read the practice act, read yours and OTA practice act or vice versa, you know, read both because that's, what's going to tell you too your scope of practice, what you can and can't do. And, you know, some States require certain CEUs to be able to use modalities. Some don't, all these States have really different little intricacies of what they do or do not allow. And so, you know, like in some States, OTAs can help with progress nodes and other states, they absolutely cannot. Exactly. So so those are the kinds of things, you know, like if you're going to sign off on a supervisory visit and they did something that they're not supposed to be doing, but, oh, it's, you know, you just think, oh, they should, they just did a little ultrasound or something, but you're signing off on it, but you shouldn't be because it's not part of their practice act. Mm -hmm. Well, that's technically fraud. Yep. Because you're signing off on it. Right. Exactly. So It's the little things and it's really, you know, I mean, obviously, if you're a millionaire and you don't really care to keep your license and you you could pay off your student loan bills, maybe then (laughs) 
that's not an issue. You're a millionaire. But you I, don't have any student loans. So, yeah. Exactly. So, <laughs> but I mean, for the most part, you know, I would say there's a large majority of us that have some type of student loan balance, some type of my mortgage just went up. There's so many reasons to keep our livelihood. Mm-hmm. There's so many, you know, financial, mental health, all of these different things to keep our livelihood. So it's worth protecting. Well, I think that segues us quickly into our last topic that we wanted to talk about, which was your more recent getting back involved with the state association, right? When we talk about protecting our livelihoods, associations play a big role in that in terms of, I mean, the associations are responsible for us being licensed in the first place for the most part, which, you know, you can debate the pros and cons of licensure, but for medical workers, it's generally a pro because that's what helps us get paid by insurance, you know? Right. Right. They do the fighting for us. Yes. Right. You know, and so I'd love for you to talk a bit about kind of what prompted you to get back involved and what you're kind of doing now with your state association and why you think it's important. Well, Clarice and Amplify OT really kind of got me wanting to be more involved with policy and also my previous history of dealing with that Mm -hmm. situation. But also the podcast episode that you did that shined a light of how few people work at AOTA. Right. That blew my mind. How few full-time workers Mm -hmm. are actually at AOTA. You get the impression that AOTA and these state agencies are more vast than they really are. First of all, state associations, 95% of them have zero paid employees. Yeah. It's all volunteer. Florida, we do have one. We do have one part-time employee that helps with clerical stuff and that kind of thing. But most associations are all volunteers. So these are the same people that have 40 plus hour jobs Mm -hmm. and that are doing the best they can. But I think it's important because, for example, the Florida OT Association just last year or two years ago just updated the Practice Act for Florida. Yeah. Just recently. Like little things like that. That's a big deal. That's a huge deal. Because opening a practice act can always be a can of worms. You never know what you're going to get. Yeah. So the fact that they were successful, 100% volunteers really to do that part. And so I think to keep yourself current with also what's going on locally, we could all turn on whatever news channel we prefer to turn on. Mm-hmm. But it's not until you're so, you're connected with your state association. Do you know what's hitting your backyard? Yeah. It was a real it's, lifeline for me when I joined the Moda or joined Moda because I was moving back home. I didn't have any OT connections in that area because I went to school in New York. And so I moved back home and was like, I don't know anybody. And it was really a lifeline for me as a new grad having kind of built in mentors to be able to send emails and connections. And I still, you know, I'm good friends with the people I worked with in Moda. And they have been a huge support for me, especially even now in my business. And it's a it's really a great lifeline, especially for new grads or if you're new to a state to to get involved, even if you're just Absolutely. on a committee and attending meetings to exactly get connected yeah. with people in your area. It's, and I think, too, it's really revitalizing even just as a professional. Like, Right. To say that you're part of that. So moving forward, I will always be the one that's going to advocate that you're involved with your state association and also AOTA. Mm -hmm. Because all of these legal things, we cannot function as a profession without lobbyists and lobbyists take money. And so if you're a paying member, (laughs) you are allowing our profession to continue is a really basic way to say that. That's what you're doing. So if you want to continue to be an OT, you should definitely consider paying the minimal dues for the most part for state associations. They're not ginormous. Generally under $100. And AOTA, you could pay monthly. Yes, it's going to be more in the long run. But if that's more in your budget, that's what I do. I have the monthly payment plan. I don't pay all at once. But that's your way of contributing to your profession and to making sure that we have a profession to continue to to work in, especially with these changes that are coming up to Medicare changes, home health changes. There are so many changes that you can keep up with at Amplify OT. That membership is amazing. (laughs) Thank you for the plug. Yes, free plug because it is amazing. And I just went to a CMS webinar. Now, previous me would have never even thought about going, but Clarice makes it really simple to why it's important to attend to these things. Why is it important to know these things? That's a thing. So it all comes back to 
knowing what you need to know to work in your backyard, but also to work elsewhere, and also to know what you need to do to keep the profession going. Yeah. Like it's, it's so vital. And, you know, try it. If you try it and you're like, wait a minute, you know, try it as just a member and then try to just volunteer for a committee for a short period of time to get mm-hmm. a little more of an inside scoop and then, you know, share it with friends if it's not a good fit for you. Let me tell you, state associations will never turn down a volunteer. I I can attest exactly. to that. We are always, always looking for volunteers, especially people who are passionate and interested. And it's not like anything prepared me to be involved in a state association or that I had something that someone else didn't. I just asked, you know, that's what I talked about this in a keynote speech I gave at Columbia earlier in the year is that like with leadership, majority of the positions I've ever had in leadership, I have run unopposed. So there was nothing that like made me special that I beat out a crowd of like 10 other fantastic OTs or OTAs. It's just that I was the only one who signed up. (laughs) So how wild is that? I belong to some of these other associations, not the state ones, but like the Black Caucus and all these Mm -hmm. different OT, you know, little side associations. I support many of them. And almost every one of them, when they send out a, a ballot, it says, even though these candidates are unopposed, we still have to vote. And I thought to myself, what is happening? Even AOTA, the yeah. last couple elections on different um, committees and whatever, they oh, all the were unopposed. Yeah. Yeah. We had I'm like, that's a scary that's to me, that's kind of scary. You know, that- and I think when we talk about seeing this change and wanting to see change in the profession, the way that that's going to happen is by getting people involved. And I know this is a you know, like beating a dead horse. Like I talk about it all the time that if you want to see that change or you want to be part of that, getting involved is the best way to do it. I mean, when we had AOTA's board of elections, which normally kind of happened like in the fall, like kind of around the November timeline, they had so few people run that they had to do it again in the spring, which then at least we had multiple candidates. So you could pick a candidate that was best suited. But like Allison Stover, who's our AOTA president, she ran completely unopposed. There was no other option, which I think Allison's a great president. It's not, no reflection on her as a person, but no one else opposed her. So even if you didn't want to vote for her, you had no other options. Right. And same thing, like even looking at uh, AOTA's DEI committee, they had a really hard time getting people to run for those positions or the representative assembly. We don't have people running for those positions. I mean, so they're AOTA generally, if you're interested, puts out calls for not volunteers generally like kind of April time frame and like kind of November time frame. It's usually twice a year and you just nominate yourself and either it's a voted position or you're appointed. Like I was appointed to my volunteer position, um, wasn't important enough to be voted on. <laughs> but like, you know, most <laughs> of these positions are running completely unopposed. So you don't really then have any choice even in who is making decisions for the profession and who's representing you because you don't have any other options. And yes, it does take time. And I get that people are in different areas of their life. You know, I was really involved at one point, then had to take a little bit of a break and then then getting back, you know, back more involved. But that's why it takes a village. It's why it takes all of us. None of us can create as much change independently as we can when we're together. And so we're only as strong as our community, as our associations. And that's, I think, really important to remember, you know, none of us are out here doing it alone, that we're stronger together. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Rafi, for sharing your story and for talking about us. I know when you told me about us, like, this is going to be something that we need to share with other people, because I'm sure that there will be folks who have had, if not the same experience, something similar, right? right. This is not a one-off independent thing. Rare I'm sure thing. it happens to folks all the time, whether it's this specific issue or something else. And so I'm really grateful that you were willing to come on and share that. Definitely recommend that people go follow you. You're always sharing something interesting or encouraging. And so where can people find you on Instagram? On Instagram, it's OT Raffi, right? Is that what it is? Yeah. Is there an underscore yeah. in there? Or is it just OT No, Raffi? no, no. Just OT Raffi. R-A-P-H-I-E. So O-T-R-A-P-H-I-E. And I kind of cleaned it up a little so it looks a little <laughs> it looks a little sparse, but I've been on Instagram forever. I just made a lot of different changes and entrepreneurship journeys and stuff like that. So right now I'm just being an OT. Well, there you go. There's nothing wrong with that. Just yeah. being an OT. That's, exactly. I am just an, an OT, OT, right? Yeah, just an OT. <laughs> 
<laughs> no, I think, and you got so much experience and so many neat advice because I've learned a lot from you. And so it's been nice to kind of have a, that community. And like I said, you know, we need that community. Otherwise, me doing this podcast, it's mostly me, myself, and I. I'm just sitting here at my computer each day by myself. So it's always nice to have those uh, conversations and chats. And I enjoy when you show up in office hours or meetups for the membership. So if you want to yes. connect with Rappi, do it on Instagram. She's in the Amplify OT membership. So you can find her there as well. And any parting words that you'd like to share? Do your due diligence <laughs> on everything. I think we're in, in a in a time where we need to we need to do that. You need to be educated before you mm-hmm. respond to things on ed, on social media. You need mm-hmm. to be educated before you do a lot of different things. So do your due diligence. That's it. Right. Go to the source. That's what I always like to say. Right. Exactly. You can watch my reels and. I would say that I try and get things right. I think I generally get them right, but always go to the source because there's a good chance that I missed something or it wasn't the whole story, right? I can only fit so much information into a 60 second reel, you know, so always (laughs) do your due diligence, go to the source, check your sources, get your evidence, right? We've all been trained in evidence-based practice. So do the same thing with your policies. All right. Well, thank you, Rafi. I am so appreciative and I can't wait to hear what people have to say. Me too. Thank you, Clarice. (laughs) If you made it this far, I want to just take a moment to say thank you so much for listening to the Amplify OT podcast. And I hope you're feeling a little more inspired and prepared to amplify your value and the value of occupational therapy. If you found yourself at any point thinking, gosh, I guess policy isn't that dull and boring, then you're definitely going to love how we talk about policy and advocacy in the Amplify OT membership. There's a link in the show notes where you can sign up today so you can take an immediate next step towards emerging as a confident clinician. And of course, don't forget to follow the Amplify OT podcast so that way you never miss an episode. And you know, while you're there, why don't you go ahead and leave us a five-star review because that's the best way to help others find the podcast too. And of course, thank you so much to Jessica Riccio for editing this podcast and for all of you for giving me a reason to record it. You're now officially part of the OT Amplifier community and you are now prepared to go out there and advocate for OT because remember, if we don't advocate for occupational therapy, then who will?